1: to, to those of you who resonate with a distorted 808. Haere mai to the Paradise Delay podcast, an exploration of electronic music and mental health. Join us for the midweek breakdown on Fresh FM. So, it's been an interesting few weeks. I have begun a job picking raspberry fruit in Whangarei, And luckily for me, it's raspberry pruning season, so we sit on our butts, shuffle along from plant to plant, and we are pruning bushy raspberries, and taking away all the excess bits until we only have eight straight stems that we clip to wires above them. We get to listen to music or podcasts while we work, so it's not so bad but we do have the rock radio station blowing from 7.30 in the morning, so it's, yeah, it's all good. Can't complain, you know. But, uh, yeah, time flies amongst the raspberry vines, and luckily for us, the weekend comes around pretty quickly. So we pack our bags, filled up our car, visited Pack and Save for some essentials, and made our way down the windy roads to Whangarei Heads. We pass signs along the way with little kiwis on them, entering kiwi country, and on arrival we cook up some lunch and set off for a walk that tracks beside the ocean. On the top of the hill we can see the horizon where the deep blue of the ocean meets the crystal clear blue of the skies. Small lizards bathing in the sun scuttle to safety in the longer grass as we walk by and the salty sea air fills our lungs as we plow on uphill. We near an old radio tower where a man with dark glasses and a trench coat appears from out of nowhere. He strolls on down to us and pauses. And then in a thick French accent, he says, Uh, do you guys want to see some whales? I was cracking up. I wonder if there was some kind of fancy new drug with the street name whales. What else could a French man in the summer wearing a big trench coat offer? But he looks across to the ocean and points his finger. We wait as he continues with his arm outstretched. And I begin to wonder if his arm is getting tired or if these French whales even existed. So we wait and we wait, and sure enough, white plumes of water sprout out of the sea with a boof, and a shh. And that we could hear, we must have been like 300 metres away, or something, and yeah, we could hear that, it was amazing, and with that, the man smirks, and begins to walk off down the hill with a wave of her hand, and I begin to imagine if this man didn't even exist, it was bizarre. We uh, we stood on the hill for hours watching the whales. The ocean was still and would every so often be interrupted with a burst of white that would appear on its smooth surface. And I was excited. I'd never seen a whale before, and I've lived in New Zealand most of my life. And, yeah, it was interesting. I couldn't help but think that maybe 200 years ago, someone could have been standing in my place uh, calling out orders to go set the boats up, and get ready to go get some whales. And, yeah, I could imagine myself with a harpoon in the hand, staring at this animal with the big blue eyes staring back. And I just couldn't imagine myself doing it. It's so cool, how could you kill a whale? But yeah, I guess there were different times. Maybe I should uh, read some Moby Dick, because I could never imagine hunting an animal so big and so cool yeah, maybe if my family's life were depending on it. Anyways, can take that one off the bucket list. Having seen a whale, yeah, take that one off. The ones I have left are to see the Northern Lights and see the Andromeda Galaxy. And I think it's you can see it from the Southern Hemisphere, but only during certain times of the year. So I need to find someone with a telescope. Let me know. And the last one punch jonkey in the mug. That would be a good one. That's pretty high up on the list. That's all i got so far. Yeah. So back to the raspberries. We sit among them. I've been listening to a lot of electronic music, which has been great. And what I really find is that this song suits perfectly for the feeling when you're pruning a raspberry bush you go through to clip one of the windy pieces of raspberry bush that they have off and you get a spike, a thorn in your thumb and yeah I feel like this is a perfect song to go with it so you're on the Paradise Lake podcast, this is Ben this is a song called Right to Riot it's a sprawling assertion of history assembled for more than 15 years worth of personal recordings Armenian, Armenian wedding guests leaping over a fire local musicians performing on the street and it combines folk elements with slick electronic rhythms. Right to Riot, a barnstorming techno anthem in Bolts Back Half, which is the album, is the album's grand statement of purpose. Anchored by clanging drums and a reedy zurna, it, it sets off in waves. The zurna squirrels over buzzing bass and plangent kicks, disappearing into vapour in the middle but it returns almost immediately, setting the track ablaze with its blinding shrieks. Right to Riot is a study in intensity, a pressure cooker whose air searing walls of industrial noise cast the sentimental forms of his chaperian memories in sharp relief. The result of his is a scorched, hyperreal clash of past and present that looks ahead to an unbound future. This is Right to Right by Harbgaard Chaparian. yeah, hope it knocks your socks off. Riot how got Chaperian. What a banger. That song goes hard. You're here on the Paradise Live podcast on Fresh FM. Yeah. So, that song, I think it accurately encompasses what getting a prick from a thornbush or even a raspberry plant when you get one of those unexpectedly. unexpectedly. Yeah. So it's been about two years since I, I don't know, in the past i consider electronic music to be not my taste, I thought it was kind of uncreative, repetitive, a bit boring, but uh, yeah, as you've heard, during the first lockdown, I, um, I gained an appreciation for electronic music, and since then it's con- continued to bloom. And yeah. Uh, it's been two years since I've kept my headphones busy with electronic music, exploring a part of music, of the musical catalogue that I'd previously brushed off. And it's been really rewarding. I've talked about this before, I talk about it a lot, but uh, in terms of my mental health, exploring something new and learning about it and getting to know it's in and out has been so beneficial to me, and good for my confidence, good for everything all around really, it's, it's been a trip. It's been great. And, I mean, even diving into the mechanics behind electronic music has been, uh, widely engaging for me, and has given me a deeper understanding of the art. To be honest, not just in electronic music, but in all music in itself. And now I know how to make a tasty pluck and can create a bass sound that might rip your underpants. It's, um... Yeah, it's... Listening to electronic music has opened up this new sense of discovery for me. It's like the new world and I'm not Columbus because he was a bad guy, but... Yeah, you get what I mean. (laughs) And yeah... It was cool to see how sounds are made, how they affected the song, and be like, whoa, that transition was sick, or wow, I love those drums. And it's kind of like wine. The more you train your palate, the more enjoyment you can get. And to be honest, my first glass of wine tasted terrible. And now, after years of refining my palate, I generally, I still think wine doesn't taste that great. But yeah, I mean, you got to put in the effort. The key comment to learning something new is time, and the standard is 10,000 hours to master a skill, apparently, but, I mean, as someone who has spent 10,000 hours breathing, I can tell you that when I get stressed, sometimes I forget to breathe. So I imagine there must be something more to mastery than just time. So. Yeah, it's been my plan. I've made a beginner's guide to learning how to make electronic music to guide you through the process. So I guess you don't have to make the same mistakes that I did and can accelerate your learning. And luckily for us, we are fortunate to live in an age where we don't have so much access to information, where we have so much access to information on the internet. We are lucky these days we don't have to seek out the best electronic music maker in the country, go sleep on their backyard for two weeks until they decide to, you know, maybe this guy's got what it takes to become the next electronic music god. It's all there on the internet, and it's great, and we have it at our fingertips. And, to be honest, there's too much there's an overload of information on electronic music on the internet. And that's kind of why I tried to make this guide, is to try and piece together the best electronic-making music resources that I've found in two years of learning a little bit about electronic music and being on the internet, obviously. So, yeah, I thought I'd make a guide to make your electronic music learning process as quick as gabber hi-hats. And I think the best place to start is to listen to electronic music. And it might seem obvious, but to let it leak in slowly through your headphones, letting your brain swim in its electric juices, and finding something you like and just keep digging, and keep exploring, and refining your palette for electronic music in a sense. It's the best way to start, is to put on some headphones, and just go walking down the street, and play some varied electronic music, and see what pace you're keeping, see see what works with you, what flows with you. Maybe you like to walk quickly, and so you enjoy some drum and bass. Maybe you like a slow pace with a steady rhythm, maybe house music, then just see what suits. So, yeah, I recommend try and find out because it's all about community as well. So, start asking people, find some old hippies on the street, that's sure to know. Try and find some local bush so you can feel the music as is it's pumped into you by proper subwoofers. I think that's a big part of it, is a lot of it's feeling the music, and unless you have some good headphones, really going to a stuff and being a part of it, there's just nothing like it. At Buschdorf's you get to mix with the techno heads, the armchair houses, the rampant Psytrance trippers, and you can learn their dances, learn the culture, and find what fits with you. And if I had to make a recommendation, I would say house first. It's chill. It's easy to dance to, and there is some progressive house out there that's really interesting. And yeah, just work your way for the electronic tree from there. Branch off in different directions. Maybe your taste will change over time. Maybe you're someone who liked tui beer when you first started, but now you're more of a hops guy. So you're into the craft beers. You know, it takes time to refine your palate. And I've been listening for two years. I'm probably still drinking too beer. But, if you want to get technical, if you want to learn a little bit before you go, I've got this stuff right here. I got the shit, um... <laughs> the best place to start learning about the technical side of electronic music... Well, you gotta start at its roots, right? So, electronic music, it's called that because it was first produced using machines, that manipulate waves of electricity and those waves of electricity are then transcribed to sound waves and that's what we hear. The interesting thing about the electronic waves that are manipulated is you can do it in so many variations, there's so many ways it can be done. And a saw wave can be detuned, a triangle wave can be resonated, a square wave can be pulled apart, Push together each producing a signature sound and the only thing I can compare it to that I know of is working with clay you start with this really raw product that you can feel in your hands and you twist and pull and push and squeeze until it comes out something you like and sometimes with clay you start with the clay and you don't even think about it you just start squeezing and pushing and pulling and in the end, maybe you have something you like, maybe you have something terrible. Granular synthesis, always ended up, ends up sounding like bees. But yeah, it's, it's kind of like working with Claire. And yeah, it's fun to take a sound that is so static and really manipulate it, morph it, play with it until it sounds human and alive. And I find it so satisfying. So you can start with a normal saw wave, then double it, detune it, and it gives it this pulsing effect. Then slap a low frequency oscillator on it and link it to the cutoff frequency, effectively creating a slow wave that brightens and then dulls. Finally, you can add reverb and it makes the sound sound like it's in a room. It really gives body to the sound. There you have it. A saw wave that has come alive with the help of a little bit of sound design. The thing about sound design is there sometimes you can feel like there's an overwhelming amount of things you can do. And some of it's really complicated, you have granular synthesis, you have wavetables, you have virtual analog, you have so many things, so many ways of manipulating a sound, you have samples. It's hard to know where to start. And in this guide, in my opinion, the best place to start would be to get your hands on something physical. And get yourself a cheap second-hand synth or B-pad, And you should really get your hands on something physical when you get started, I believe. There's nothing more exciting than twisting a knob on a synth and feeling your sound move with it. And I believe you just can't get the same satisfaction from using your mouse on a computer. There's something physical about it. There's something about physical about just twisting the sob, the knob, and hearing the sound come alive. Really gets me going. It's cool. And the added benefit to having a physical synthesizer or B-pad is that you're away from a screen. I can sit down for hours with my synth and explore new sounds and just see where they take me. Whereas, when I'm, when I'm working on my computer, I get distracted by the internet, easily. Uh, yeah, Reddit gets me pretty bad. And my eyes get sore from looking at the screen. And I generally feel less creative staring at a screen. I think there's something about your eyes are involved. Whereas when you have a physical synth, it's just you the way you move, and the sounds. When you bring a screen into it, sight's involved, and it becomes a little bit more complicated. And, yeah, I just think getting a physical synth, if you can afford it, uh, there's definitely cheaper ways to go about it. I, you get more immersion from the music creation process. And, yeah, that's where I recommend you get your hands on a physical synth first. Get to know it like a friend, know what strengths and weaknesses it has, know it's sweet spots. Don't do this to your friends, but make the synth your lover. <laughs> I've done a bit of research, and for someone who's beginning out in the electronic spectre, the electronic universe, I would recommend a synth called the Novation Base Station 2. It's a bass synthesizer, and you can totally lose yourself in this machine, discovering and creating new sounds. The controls are all laid out in the clearest and most useful way to keep the sound design as straightforward and as fun as possible. And it's pretty straightforward from the front end, but it has a lot of depth to the sound design in the end. And I think it's a perfect synth to get you on your way to becoming a rabid acid house composer. So, for a new base station or a va- fashion base station in New Zealand, it's about nine hundred dollars. So, that's expensive. And I mean, if you have to justify this to yourself, I mean, I've done it before. synths hold their value really well. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying this. But it's, it's an investment, they hold their value really well, so if you want to sell it, uh, you can definitely get probably the same and just knock a $200 off. Or even in the future, sometimes they go up in value if they're popular ones. And it's a good store of value, because inflation's really high at the moment, so you put the money in now, and it's like investing in gold, your money's pretty safe. So if you have to justify it financially, that's how I'll go about it. If you are looking for a cheaper alternative, uh, there's a great community on Facebook called Synth, and on in this community you can get great deals on electronic instruments from music creators themselves. There's really good deals on there, no one's trying to make a quick buck off anyone, and I think you could get a bass station for much lower than $900 on there. And yeah, bass station, it's cool, good beginner synth. It is a mono synth, which means it is limited to playing one note at a time. And it's a bass synth, so bass players, they're usually not playing chords like a guitar player does, that's the reason it's a mono synth, is that when you're working in the low frequencies, things get really muddy if you start playing chords, or you start playing multiple chords at a multiple notes at a time so this bass station Novation bass, bass station 2 is a mono synth, so it only plays one note at a time so you are a little bit limited there the, re, the way I would justify this is you're limited but this limitation is good for your creativity it's great when you start out and you're only able to play one note at a time you can just make melodies and the sound design almost becomes more important. And you're not really thinking about chords, you're not really thinking about complicated melodies, just one note at a time, you can make some really cool sounding bass lines of that. And you can make it squeal, like some acid house as well. So this is the Novation bass station, I'm going to play a few presets here. Just so you can get a taste for it, see what it sounds like. So that was the Novation Bass Station. Damn, sounds so sick. There's really, yeah, a lot of cool things you can do with that. Make some bass lines. And then you can slap some drums in with it. Maybe get a live drummer and play some drum and bass. I think you could really make something cool with just that setup. And it's a great place to start. And yeah. So when you feel yourself ache for more, when you're looking for a synth for maybe more capabilities that has polyphonic capabilities where you can play more than one note at a time or maybe it's just more powerful synthesizer can do all these fancy things it could be a good idea, but you also run the risk of falling into what I call the gearhead trap Now I know heaps of gearheads, not in that way a gearhead to me is someone who becomes convinced that Buying a new piece of gear is the secret to improving their music. And it's, trust me, it's an easy trap to fall into once you start getting into electronic music. I've been there thinking that spending money on a new synth is the secret to my success. And what I've learned over the couple years is that it's better to stick with what you have and try and push your boundaries when you can. It's you could run the risk of not actually learning how to play and becoming a collector and it becomes a collector's item And yeah, it's hard to resist the pull of buying new gear and I don't want to be the guy who has a room full of simps and it's all fancy and really cool and Has no idea how to make them sing has no idea how to push your boundaries, No, has no idea where their little secret spots are, their little... Yeah. It's, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be a gearhead. Try and resist that urge. I know it's <laughs> hard. Yeah. So try and try and avoid being a gearhead. If you're on a budget, um, yeah, Try try not to spend too much money on synthesizers. Don't try and justify it to yourself that they hold their value really well. (laughs) I know a couple of people like this, and to be fair they are good synth players and make great music, so maybe you can do both. So $900 is a lot to fork out for a new synthesizer, so I thought I'd add a couple of uh, cheap uh, synthesizers on here. These Cheaper synthesizers are soft simps, which means they are digital instruments you have on the computer. Now you don't get that physical sensation of turning a knob and hearing it squeal, but you—it it is cheaper, and digital synthesizers are often more powerful, which is both a good and a bad thing. If you're beginning, I wouldn't recommend a really powerful synthesizer, because it's just overwhelming the amount of things you can do on them better to stick to the basics, learn the basics well, and then jump to something crazy, I think. Yeah, so check out, I would recommend checking out Vital or Serum if you're looking for a good place to start. These synthesizers can be torrented for free, although of course I would never do that, and they have great tutorials on YouTube to learn how to work them but they can get quite complicated. When you open it up, and there's like 20 different things on the screen, it can be really hard to know where to start. So I thought I'd play a song, just to break it up. This is, yeah, Garage. Maybe you can play some Garage music with the Novation Circuit, because UK Garage is on the upswing. Virtually every week brings a fresh crop of bumping swinging night tunes that sound like they were made in the age of dial-up modems. Opening with a soft gong and a sweep of shadow, God of Thunder wastes little time in invoking its influences. A cracking woodblock pattern and stonking square wave bassline immediately flash back to late nights at the East London Club that birth some of the most crucial strains of UK based music. Play it on your Novation Circuit. Let's go. Song called "God of Thunder" by a producer named Mosca. This is a Paradise Delay podcast on Fresh FM. And yeah, if you have a voice, then you're already a podcaster. Go check out Fresh FM. Walk through the door. Go have a chat with Matt. He'll set you up with a podcast. Fresh FM is a great community of people looking to help and make your voice heard if you have a voice go make a podcast it's easy i can do it go check out fresh fm at founders park in nelson you're welcome <laughs> yeah so you're on the paradise delay podcast and we've been talking about novation bass synthesizer as the first synth for someone looking to get into electronic music i think it's a great one it's a mono synth. you can play some sick acid house bass on it, go check it out. But, once you've got your hands on a synth, and you've had a play around with it, and you're looking to maybe further your knowledge, I would recommend training your ear. And I can hear you asking, How does one train the ear? Does one go to the gym? Wrap some weights around your ears and do 20 squats. Well, I can tell you, that would be terrible for your neck posture. Luckily for us, there is an app that is free on iTunes and can be torrented for Windows. But you know I'd never do that. It's quite expensive on Windows. I think it's about 100 bucks or something. Maybe more. 200 So go check that out. I don't recommend you do that, but it can be done. The app is called Syntorial, a combination of Synth and Tutorial, I think. And the cool thing about Syntorial is it begins by playing a sound, and when you hear the sound, it then moves to another page, and you're asked to recreate that sound using a digital synthesizer. You then try and recreate the sound so it sounds right to the reference sound. And then press Confirm, and Centurial will give you a rating out of three stars, how close you were to that sound. And it claps for you. Yeah! If you get three stars. So, you know, positive reinforcement, goes a long way. The coolest thing about Centurial is, you begin by only having access to the filter, which controls the brightness of your sound. So you start off really simple, you start off with just one knob, and you have to recreate the sound and make it as bright, or as dull as a reference sound. But it gets pretty crazy from there. So, Bakurusi parts. From there, it progresses. The next task, you're giving access to the envelope, which creates how much sound is let through. The LFO, Low Frequency Oscillator, which is a very slow wave that pulses up and down in various shapes. And you can link that to parts of your sound and create really interesting sounds like we did with the wave before. You have the filter envelope, gets complicated. Oscillators, gets complicated. Reverb, delay, there's so many things in there. And it's just a really great resource to train your ear. And you'll be surprised after a while of doing it. You can hear things in a sound that perhaps you couldn't hear before. <laughs> it's it is literally like going to the gym for your ears. And after using it, I understood sound design so much better. And it makes music all the more interesting because your ear is tuned to it. And yeah. From there, you have the basics. Once you complete that, you have the basics of sound design under your belt. And from there, you can whip up some Lush plucks and make them sparkle. From there, after completing Synthorial or exploring Synthorial and taking those things you've learned and maybe playing around with your synth and seeing how it correlates from the digital synthesizer to your personal synthesizer, maybe it's time to... Look at getting into a door. Not going through a door, a door is a DAW and it stands for Digital Audio Workstation. And it's basically a program on your computer that you can use to record songs. So you can take those cool sounds and record them on your computer. And even some doors come in where you can use sound design. They have instruments on them, too. And, yeah, doors are really cool. And, yeah, I personally use a door called Ableton Light. Ableton Light costs $150 in New Zealand, new. Yeah. The cool thing about Ableton Light is that it's free when you purchase when you purchase some keyboards. So a lot of keyboards you go into the store and you can purchase, it comes free with them. So there's a lot of good value in looking out for those kind of deals. So Ableton Lite for me, the digital audio workstation, it's a scaled down version of Ableton. So Ableton is this really powerful recording software. Ableton Lite is perfect for me, because it's not as powerful. And, again, the limitations that are in it means that I get to know how everything works really well, before being too confused by everything that I can do. And, I also have to be more creative and really utilize all the ideas for the song. So, Ableton Light only comes with eight tracks. So you can only make eight layers to your songs. Say one of them is a kick drum, one of them, a, of them is a hi-hat bass, and then some synth, and then some pad along the background. You have to be really efficient with these sounds in order to make a sound, song that sounds good. And that's a good thing, being efficient with your sounds. You don't want to just clutter it with too many things. And, yeah, you, you learn to be efficient with what you have. And... Again, if you feel, if you get to the point where you know it well enough and you feel like, man, I really wish I could do these extra things, then when it's limiting your creativity or ability to get your ideas down for a song, then you can upgrade to the full version of Ableton, which is quite expensive, so I think it'll be a long way off for me. Um, But that's definitely the plan in the future, once I really get my hands on Ableton, to upgrade from there. So, $150 is quite a lot for Ableton. I would recommend a budget uh, door for you, which is called Reaper. Reaper's really good, and it's been around forever, and the UI, the user interface, isn't quite as good as Ableton, in my opinion but I think it's a really good place to start, and it's only $60, and it'll get you started on learning how to put a song together in a door. So what's interesting is we have doors now, so we have digital audio workstations where we can record music. We don't write music down on sheets anymore with the staff and the treble clef and all that stuff. We have piano rolls that are in the door, which we can use, and we can see the sounds as we're making them. And, yeah, I think traditional music theory takes place in the centuries-old music style, and is loaded with information that doesn't always apply to the new piano roll, the new digital audio workstation environment. And so, Learning music for the piano role is entirely different to learning music theory where you're putting notes down on a page. And so it's almost easier for us. We have built-in interfaces that help us put the notes in. We don't have to have the muscle programming in order to play a piano super fast or super well. We can program that all in ourselves using a mouse, if we have to, and so our ability to play the instrument doesn't really affect our ability to compose a song that sounds good. Composing a song has been, I think, democratized by it, because you don't have to learn music since you're five, learn the piano since you're five, in order to make a great song. Those that can hear music and really feel music can make songs with a bit of practice and a door on a piano roll. And, yeah, it's cool that we can hear in time what we're composing and don't have to train our fingers to glide across the keys. Instead, we can paint our chords and melodies on a computer, with a mouse, and find what sounds good to us. And it's about what sounds good to us that matters. Again, it's about training your ear. It's about taking your ear to the gym. You don't have to know the music theory to compose a song that converts your emotions into sound waves. Although I would recommend a little bit of music theory as a platform to work for. And something that I've found that is perfect for that and was crucial in me being able to hear what sounds good and what reflects what I'm feeling is an app. building blocks. And building blocks works with the piano roll and teaches you music outside of that classical music theory environment. And it works like Centurial and you played a song and you have to recreate that song yourself learning a piano roll style uh, in a piano roll style. And, so you get given a song, and you're required to fill in the notes on the piano, and as you progress, they add drums and bass as well. So you learn how to hear a song, and recreate that on the piano roll. Just so good. And, again, your ear is being trained, not in the particulars of the sound and sound design, but in the way that the sounds work together, when different notes are played. And, again, this feeling grows as you can beat the course. You can feel when chords or melody aren't working well together. And you can play around and kind of figure out what is throwing it off. And, it also, again, improves your knowledge of songs. Again, you hear interesting chords that are in your favourite songs, and how the artists have experimented with them to create an emotion. And, it's cool. Building blocks, Uh, Don't Google Building Blocks, you'll get some children's toys. It is, type in Building Blocks Music, and it'll take you there. And it costs $30 per month. And there's two courses, and I highly recommend it. And it's probably the best money I've ever spent in my understanding of music, electronic music creation. So $30 a month, building blocks, type in building blocks. Audible Genius, I think is who runs it, subscription service. And if you're young, and you have a brain that likes to take in information, go check it out, you could be the next musical genius, or something. Don't be 30, like me, and be checking it out. You're too old, you're past it. Just kidding. So, you've learnt a bit of sound design with Centurial, You've learnt a bit of music theory with building blocks for a digital audio workstation environment and you've got your own synthesizer. So you've really delved into it. This is kind of the process I took minus all the mistakes that I made purchasing the wrong things or purchasing things that weren't worthwhile. The last step really is mixing and mastering. So to simplify things, I usually explain mixing as a process of taking individually recorded tracks and blending them together like ingredients in a recipe. When making your favorite dish, you don't just throw everything on a plate and enjoy the meal. Instead, different ingredients need to be prepared in different ways so that everything comes out in harmony. So that's mixing. It's like you're mixing up the ingredients for Banana Loaf. Now, mixing can be done in Ableton and Reaper. You can do that in there. And it's much the same in that you're mixing, when you're uh, mixing it, you may need to adjust and automate volume levels of different tracks to blend them, add effects like delay, which is like an echo, 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 and reverb which you'll hear the reverb, because I'm in a Toyota Estima, so the reverb is not perfect in here. And for extra spice, you tweak the EQ settings for corrections and added flavor. So EQ is kind of like a cookie cutter, you got some dough, you can cut out pieces of the sound that maybe don't sound nice. So you can take out, maybe something's resonating, and you get like a high-pitched thing, you can cut that out. And part of mixing is also panning instruments in the stereo field to make space so that each track sits just right in the mix and no frequencies step on each other. So panning is left and right. I don't know if you'll hear this in stereo because it's on the radio, but I'm on the right, I'm on the left. That's panning and that's where you put your instruments when you record. So that's basically the crux of mixing that's difficult, and it takes a while to learn, Uh, there's definitely resources, heap of resources out there for it. But a lot of it, again, is just training your hand, just what sounds right to you, just making songs, and you'll get there. The second step is mastering. Mastering, on the other hand, is the finalization process, where everything gets baked together. This is where the mix has been perfected, and the track as a whole is worked on it to give it shine, sparkle, volume, depth, punch, and loudness. During the mastering process, an audio engineer will utilize different tools, like compression, which is compressing the sound, stereo width tools, again stereo left and right, limiters, limiting how high the sound goes, kind of like compressing, maximizers, don't know what that is, EQ automation and more to ensure that the final master achieves the right levels to meet industry standards and the proper tone for your style of music. So while mixing is like getting the ingredients ready, mastering is like the baking process. You just gotta like put it at the right temperature, set the settings right, leave it in there and if you've done your mixing mastering correct, then your banana loaf comes out moist and decadent. So there are resources resources to learn these. I would recommend, what I have done is, is a site called Production Music Live, and on Production Music Live, you can look up Ableton tutorials, you can hear a preview of the song they'll talk you, and they'll take you through, and it's so cool, they start you from the beginning of a song until the end, and it's a mixing and mastering, and they'll teach you how to use things like automation on Ableton, and it's it's really worth it. So one of those courses costs $80, which is a little bit expensive for me. The great thing is, if you're on a budget, go check out uh, You Suck at Producing. Great YouTube channel, it's a great producer, he's really cool. So, at the end of this all, maybe you've been two years on this, this might be what you sound like. So I've got my song now, it's called Podcast 1198. So I usually end the podcast with something a little spicy, something that will blow your socks off. But today, and I think further going, I might just play one of my songs. I think it'd be interesting. And this is a song I finished yesterday. It has taken what I think my 1,198th podcast will sound like. I'm 30 now, and with the average life expectancy of males in New Zealand being 75... I'd say I might have, if I'm lucky, 45 years in me. And at one podcast fortnightly, that's 26 podcasts a year. So 1,170 podcasts I've got left in me, and I've done about 28 so far. So this is what I think my one hundred one thousand one hundred ninety-eighth podcast might sound like. in the expression of a song. I hope you like it. This is Paradise Delay podcast. Be kind to one another, show compassion to yourself, and have a good night.